Welcome to the Talent Talk with Robert Walters podcast, where we speak to business leaders around the globe to bring you the latest trends and insights from the world of work. And welcome to the Robert Walters Legal Podcast. For those of you who are joining us for the first time, I'd like to introduce ourselves. My name is Bradio O'Sullivan, and I'm a specialist in-house legal consultant in financial services here at Robert Walters in our Sydney office. And I'm Rob Kruger. Similar to Bridie, I'm a specialist in-house legal consultant in the corporate commercial space. Together, we make up the legal team for the Australian Robert Walters office. Welcome to our legal podcast where we interview the leading minds in the legal industry. So, a bit about us. I am a wine aficionado, previously a practicing family lawyer, and a lover of all things pink. Rob is a walking sport bible, and I mean of any sport, a country boy and a whiskey connoisseur. Both of us have a keen interest in the legal industry and creating a space where we are given the opportunity to ask our clients not only about their professional life, but also about the handy tips and tricks that we both wish we knew prior to joining the legal industry. Today, I'm speaking with Abby Jones, Senior Vice President and Head of Legal for the Asia-Pacific Region for the Behemoth Financial Institution, State Street. Abby has had a formidable career spanning across both private practice and in-house. Abby and I have worked together over the past two years, and it was a real pleasure to interview her. So, let's get started. Pleasure to be here. Exactly. So, Abby is actually the head of legal for APAC for State Street, which is really exciting. And I've worked with Abby, God, it must be over the past two years, has it been? We've been each other. I know, which is exciting. Um, And Abby is always just a complete ray of sunshine. So, I thought no one better than to kick things off than than the Queen herself, um, which is great. (laughs) So, I guess we'll just start right into it. So, Abby, first... What got you interested in studying law? Um, That's a really good question. I think it was more by accident than design, to be honest. Um, I really remember being a little kid who loved to read, who loved languages, who loved words, and who talked a lot. And I remember thinking in my 11-year-old careers advisor kind of way, what jobs would let you get paid for doing all of that and law was one of them (laughs) when I got to making my university choices I realized that I did love solving problems I did love communicating and I did love working with people Um, but since I have zero practical skills I wasn't going to be an engineer or a doctor so law seemed like the right answer And I still think to this day, I am very, very fortunate that when I started studying it, having really no more sophisticated an understanding of it than my 11-year-old self had had, (laughs) because there are no lawyers in my family, I'm the first one, um, that I liked it. And I enjoyed the study. And again, I think it's a great good fortune that when I finished my degree, and started working as a lawyer. And again, that's a completely different thing. And when I started that, I liked that as well. Yeah, definitely. And sort of on that, I guess, how did you sort of find studying law 
at university. I know sort of going from high school to university, it can be a completely different ball game. And then as well, following on from that, going from studying law to then the first couple of years of practicing and, and what a monumental change that is. Yeah, I mean, I think I found studying law really enjoyable. I mean, I'm a giant nerd, so reading stuff and then turning your homework in on time wasn't a big change for me. <laughs> so the university I found really interesting and I did art. So to me, it was almost like an extension of my arts degree. Similar sort of thinking, you got to delve into history with precedence, you got to um, explore language. Uh, so university was kind of pretty straightforward studying law for me. Um, the big change was when I started practice because that really is so different um, in terms of what you do in your day-to-day activity and to some degree the emphasis depending on your area of law on the skills you need to do it well. Um, and as I said, I didn't have any lawyers in my family so i Moving into corporate law, which is where I practiced, was literally moving into a completely different world. I had no members of my family in financial services either. I didn't do an economics degree. So moving into financial services, learning the language of that, learning the language of the law around it, understanding what the expectations were of working in a corporate office, all of that was completely new to me and it was simultaneously a great adventure and a learning experience and also one of the more horrifying experiences I've ever had. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like not many people get out of private practice unscathed, um, which is really interesting. I mean, do you sort of think that private practice firms now have sort of evolved over the period of years and sort of kept up to date with the different sort of cultural and societal expectations of I guess, what employees expect from their workplaces now? Or do you think they are sort of still stuck in that get in, work hard, get out, bill money <laughs> sort of phase? I actually do think they've changed a lot. But I think you need to be clear that the model of a professional services firm is you cannot succeed unless you work hard and you provide that level of service that your clients expect. It is a demand-driven industry, uh, so you do have to be available for your clients when they need you. Um, And I know that sitting on the client side of the bench now, I'm quite conscious of making sure that I use my resources wisely and I'm not one of those clients as far as I can avoid it. Um, Don't get me wrong, I loved my private practice firm. Um, It was full of very clever, very dedicated um, really interesting people um, and we did really interesting work and there was a great sense of team support and camaraderie and I'm still very much in contact uh, with all of the people I worked with um, in my eight to ten years in private practice but I think the shifts that I have seen in understanding how best to harness people's talents and to Band, the scope of people who are getting taken into big firms and getting that diversity of views and that diversity experience, that has been huge. Mm. Um, and to be honest, largely driven by a lot of uh, people who 
were noticing that women weren't progressing, were noticing that they had a very uniform workplace that really wasn't working except for a very narrow subset of persons and life circumstances Mm. who've worked really, really hard to change it. And I think it has changed a lot, but it doesn't mean it's not hard. Mm. Definitely, definitely. And so you mentioned um, earlier that you're now obviously on the client side. So when did you first make the move in-house and what grabbed you about sort of moving in-house and and why did you leave sort of private practice? Mostly what grabbed me about moving in-house was being able to see what happens next. It's a story. Yep. <laughs> so I started and my private practice was um, in funds and mergers and acquisitions and competition law. So I did a lot of transactional-based work, which is really fascinating. You learn about an industry, a client, a deal, and you do develop relationships with clients, but you don't get to see what happens after they've bought the thing. Mm. or brought on the employees or changed the strategy and financed a particular deal. Uh, You don't get to see how those decisions are made um, and you don't get to see what happens after the transaction has occurred. And I was really curious to see what happened next um, and to understand really how you run a business and how you influence that running. And my firm was a terrific firm. Um, and I did look at, well, do you stay to try to become a partner? How does that work? And I realised, well, partnership is decision-making with, you know, 180 other people. Um, it doesn't necessarily, <laughs> <laughs> doesn't necessarily mean that you get that real business deal. It's possible, um, and there are definitely pathways within a partnership and a private firm to achieve that. Um, but I thought in-house gave me a much better seat to see how that worked up close. And, yeah. You know, in terms of my experience, that, that has been correct. Have there sort of been any surprising elements to it? Um, again, I think the surprise was the shift from the narrow slice of the view that you see when you're an external advisor to the fuller picture you get when you're inside an organisation as to what's driving decision-making, what's driving the way people implement decisions or respond to crises or circumstances. And the picture is very different and I think you need to take, obviously, a far broader range of considerations into account when you're thinking about how you advise your internal clients on legal risks, it's really got to marry up to budget, to operational risk, to credit risk, to sovereign risk, your one risk, your one category of risk amongst a whole range of categories. And you have to learn to understand how those elements affect the advice you give and the way in which you give it. And I think that was the biggest surprise or at least the biggest um, learning opportunity. Yeah, definitely. And what do you love most about your sort of current role um, at State Street at the moment? Well, the fact that I get 
to do what I do and learn about legal systems, legal issues in so many countries. And I get to understand how similar problems are addressed in different ways, in different cultures, I think is somewhat fascinating to me. We operate in seven key principal jurisdictions in Asia, but obviously have operations and business in far more, around 14. And that's a lot of languages that I don't know. Uh, that's a lot of uh, business cultures to learn. And it's a lot of ways of thinking about and solving problems to learn about. And to think about how to do that, not just for that local market, but to pull out what works really well and translate that across market is really fun. Yeah, definitely. It's really fun. (laughs) Sounds like a big puzzle all day, every day, which is great. (laughs) I love that. I guess my next sort of question, and, and I'm always excited to hear other people's answers um, as it relates to this. What has been the best piece of career advice that somebody has ever given you over your long and incredibly successful career? I've had lots of really good mentors, um, both formal and informal, and lots of good advice. Some of the key pieces of advice that have been really helpful to me uh, have been one was <laughs> take the opportunity to make sure that you record what you do. And I used to find and I still find self-assessment, performance assessment or situations where I have to literally say this is what I've achieved and this is how well I achieved it. Achieved it. Personally, just excruciating I'm getting a tense <laughs> neck and high just thinking about it uh, but it's really hard for people to understand what you do when you make it look seamless and invisible so you seem you simultaneously have clients who want a seamless service with no friction but then they think it's easy or they don't understand the value that you bring so it's figuring out how to make Invisible work visible um, and not shying away from just politely recording that was a really key piece of advice. And it's something that I tell my team all the time. Um, record it about yourself. And if you're like me, you find that excruciating, make sure you record it about your colleagues. Mm-hmm. So send me a note to say, hey, my teammate has just done a really great job on X. Um, whether that's somebody in a business role or someone in a legal role. And I keep that feedback mm. and I use it as the basis of development conversations. So that was a big one. Um, and then a couple of other more strategic ones were to politely and firmly take up your space. Mm. So when you go to a meeting, make sure you do get the question in, make sure you do get heard and particularly for women I think and um, for minorities who feel that they're not represented in huge numbers around corporate tables, Mm. support each other in amplifying your messages I think is key and those two things have served me really really well. Yeah yeah that's fantastic and I think that's a really good thing as well for younger lawyers to sort of hear and sort of take mental note of, especially, like you said, for female or for minority lawyers 
you know, going through that sort of grind, which is really important. And I'm definitely going to take note of that as well, (laughs) which is great. Do you think there are any sort of changes or improvements that you think that the sort of profession can or sort of needs to make as it relates to sort of health and well-being of lawyers? I think one of the seriously underestimated qualities for being a partner in a top firm or indeed any firm for smaller firms that are being run as a, as a smaller business is to understand that stamina is almost the most important quality you need mm. to have. And that then feeds into how do you design a business that lets people get sleep, that lets people disconnect, that lets people take care of their family and caring responsibilities, that lets them take care of their physical health is really hard. Mm. Um, And I think great strides have been made, but I certainly think there needs still to be a shift in the mindset of Mm. I worked all weekend or I worked all night and all nighter as a badge of honour as Mm -hmm. opposed to if you are having to work all night, something has gone wrong in the project Mm. management of the project Mm. would be the way I would look at it. And certainly as a client, there are emergency situations where I do have to be that person that calls on a Friday afternoon at four o'clock and says, mm-hmm. I'm really sorry, <laughs> I really need this. Uh, but I try and keep them to a minimum because, you know, my lack of planning does not equal somebody else's urgent mission. Mm-hmm. And I think people taking responsibility for project managing their projects, for um, thinking about how to escalate and distill key showstopper issues early so that they can be solved in a timely way is a big part of the cultural change you need to move away from that kind of Wolf of Wall Street, Royal Investment Banker mm. type. We can all operate with no sleep and that's a marvellous thing. Mm. I wouldn't let anyone drive a car on no sleep. I'm not really interested in getting legal advice on a complicated yeah. issue from a lawyer who's had no sleep. Exactly. Um, so. No, I think that's so I definitely great. think a lot of change required there. Definitely. And I, a lot of, and I think a lot of change too around understanding what people want at different times and stages of their career and thinking about how you can staff your team um, to accommodate that. So, you know, there are older workers who are terrifically capable, uh, who get overlooked because they're older workers, but they are workers who are very happy to be there consistently, um, doing the work. There are younger workers who want, who would be happy to take shift work because mm. they've got younger children and they can do more of that, um, more of the intermediate times early in their career. There are ways and means to do it, but it does require some radical thinking about design and not mm. just relying on the way things have, or the way things have always been done. And I think the search and the hunger for talent um, is really driving that because mm. one of the many things I love about young lawyers is they do not want to work with no sleep. They want to devote time to activism to their families to their health Mm. um and they're really talented and they're demanding that that happens Mm. Um, so 
I think that's a really nice change to see. Yeah, definitely. And do you think that, you know, a one sort of way that you could get around the whole, um, you know, there's so few of us and, you know, there's we're just going to stay here for 48 hours in one go is by chance looking at taking on more graduates as opposed to less so that the teams sometimes aren't just one graduate and one partner and one sort of discipline? Or do you think sort of private practice will never really move away from, you know, taking on 10 graduates a year? I think it's really tricky um, Mm. because the cost models are hard. Um, So real estate and wages are your two biggest costs. Mm. Um, in private practice or indeed in in any business and figuring out how you staff to that is difficult. Um, I just think there are creative ways of using the staff intake that you have Mm. and creative ways of using technology uh, that enable you to manage those peaks and troughs and those staffing better. And from my observation, it is certainly way better than it was when I started out in practice 20 years ago. Um, but it's, I think there's, there's more to be done and this technology will drive a lot of it and um, talent demands will drive the rest. Mm. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, and I guess sort of following on that, from that sort of technology notion, what do you think will be the biggest issue that lawyers will face over the next five to ten years? Will it be that sort of competition and battle with technology and and what that sort of looks like? And and I guess how would you say young professionals could look at sort of equipping themselves to deal with the necessary demons and skills that they will need to come up against? Um, I think technology obviously is a big driver, but I if you look at the technological changes that have happened even over since I've been an adult, you know, without without telling everybody how ancient I am, I grew up I grew up without computers. <laughs> there were no iPhones. <laughs> that could you have know? been eight years ago. <laughs> you could be eight years. <laughs> exactly. Um, but you know, the iPhone's only ten years old or thereabouts, yeah. right? It, and look at how that's changed the way in which people do business, um, the ability of to to build in flexibility, etc. So that's always a huge change. I honestly think there's always and always will be a market for um, clever, hardworking people who can solve problems and think strategically. What I think the biggest challenge for lawyers is and it's ironic because so much of the practice of law is understanding what went before you and thinking about how you build on it and translate that into uh, a particular more contemporary context. But it's the habit of assuming that things are going to stay the same. And the most successful lawyers I have seen and the most successful firms I have seen are the ones that embrace change, embrace being adaptive, change their areas of practice, change the ways in which they practice, and are always looking for opportunities to add skills to their goals. So I think the single biggest thing you can do for your career as a lawyer is even if you stay a lawyer your entire career, is to think about how you can have a portfolio legal career, how you can practice in different areas, 
how you develop different skills, how you look at different opportunities, and you understand that change is constant and you embrace it as a way to find a different way of doing things. Mm. And there are literally jobs now that did not exist, Mm. you know, when I started out in legal practice. Um, And I just think, in all honesty, if the Kardashians can be influencers and build a billion-dollar <laughs> empire. There's no reason you can't have a completely different version of what a law career looks like. Um, yeah, actually, and there are think- loads of different ways of doing it. So exactly, I, I I honestly think about that stuff, and I go, when you asked me how did I get into studying law, um, I, there are those kinds of careers didn't exist. Mm-hmm. So. If you take that attitude to law, there will be jobs in law, there will be areas of practice in law, there will be ways of doing things in law that don't exist now but will exist in five years' time, 10 years' time, 20 years' time. And so the idea, I think, is to be flexible, creative and adaptive and you'll thrive. Mm. I actually think as well Kim Kardashian is actually studying law now. So (laughs) there you go. (laughs) There we go. I hope you're looking forward to. I really hope to hear from you if you ever come across her in a legal <laughs> sense. I want a photo of the correspondence, please. <laughs> Selfie outside the courtroom <laughs> would be great. <laughs> Wonderful, exactly. Well, thank you so much, Abby. You've been an absolute gem, and I definitely know for myself, and I know for other people, there is an absolute pearls of wisdom um in there which is incredible so thank you thank you so much and i will pleasure thank you